0: remain standing now as we read God's Word together, these words from the Gospel of John, as the Gospel writer explains uh, what John the Baptist believed about Jesus Christ. Let us read these words together. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, "'Look, here is the Lamb of God.' The two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, "'What are you looking for?' He said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Christmas always kind of seems to be an underwhelming experience. Have you ever had this? Like, like, and, and the underwhelming experience doesn't happen just like during Christmas, you know. It, there's a lot of anticipation coming up, you know, of course, the night before is a big deal and, and then Christmas morning you get to wake up and, you know, the, maybe the kids are excited and, you know, tear open the presents and in that moment it's just really exciting and you're just like exhilarated and happy to be there, you know, and, and the kids open all the presents and, and you open everything and, and, and then there's just kind of wrapping paper scattered all over and maybe you, you know, have a big breakfast or whatever, but then there's that moment, Right, that, that moment when you, when you pick up all the wrapping paper and, you know, fill your trash cans full of all the boxes and, and, and the paper and, you know, you eat a big breakfast and you're just kind of, you know, just, just sitting there and, and, and the kids have already played with the toys and, you know, they've already lost, like, all the darts to the dart gun, you know, or whatever. Like, they've always, like, broken the toy or by that time. And there's just this moment after Christmas where you, you get all this stuff and you just kind of look at everything and just say, now What? Is this everything we've been working for? Is this what all that anticipation was about? Is this everything? Now what? If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. They might help you guide through the next uh, few minutes as we talk a little bit. But there's this thing that happens when we get everything that we've wanted. Right? And, and now as we look ahead to the new year, there's a question that I think we need to ask ourselves. And it's, what will you do when you get everything you've always wanted? What will you do when you get everything that you've always wanted? And this applies to gifts, right? We've kind of had that underwhelming experience when we said, you know, this was the gift I wanted, but it really didn't, you know, fulfill me, right? It didn't really just make me, you know, overly happy. This was it. But it might also apply to you know, promotions, if you've been working really hard and you've just envisioned that dream job, right, that dream promotion, and you just kept saying, you know, if I could just get there, if I could just, you know, get to that promotion, then, then everything would be better. It's, it's that perfect thing. And then what you might find is that when you got that promotion, it really wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And there are some disappointments about that job, and, and, and there are some drawbacks to that position. Or maybe your children have experienced it whenever they tried to get on, on the team, right? Or, or whenever they tried to get all you know, A's and then and they just worked as hard as they could to, to succeed in whatever it was. And you just saw them kind of have that disappointing feeling of just going, now what? Or, or what's going to happen whenever we get the politician that we wanted? Right, as we watch these people debate over and over again, and we think, you know, surely one of them has got to fix everything. And what we're going to find is that whenever we get whoever it is, Republican or Democrat, what we're going to find is that it's not going to be all cracked up, it's supposed to be. We're going to have this feeling, this nagging feeling in the bottom of my stomach that's going to say, now what? Because what we find is that we are constantly working towards the next thing only to realize that the next thing is over the horizon. Do you believe as You've seen this, right? You've experienced this, that, that we're constantly working towards something to realize that there's only one more thing over the horizon. And we keep working and working, and, and we keep constantly asking ourselves, is this it? Now what? Now what do we do? But maybe we do that because we're working towards the wrong thing. And it's really easy to do in our day and age, but we read out of the Gospel of John as something better, is something more fulfilling. We start in the Gospel of John, in the passage that we read in verse 35, that John again was standing with the two of his disciples, and he watched as Jesus walked by, and he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, now you heard Pastor Mark a little bit last week talk about this Lamb of God phrase right? And, and how in the times of the temple, uh, a lamb was sacrificed. If you had a sin against God or if you offended God, you were called to sacrifice something, an animal, and many times that was a lamb. And what we read throughout the entire Old Testament are these really powerful and strong images of God, right? We read these, these just really incredible names and images for God. Like in the book of Genesis, we read about God. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. We can't even imagine what that was like. You your mind can't even concept nothing. I mean, it, it just doesn't work, and, and there was God and, and nothing, and God just spoke. God just said words, and things started to create, and, and, and so from the book of Genesis, we call God creator, right? It's this kind of unmoved mover kind of God that, that God created the entire world just by speaking, and so we call God creator, and then when we get to the book of Exodus, we read that God calls Abraham, uh, uh, God calls Moses to go to Egypt and free the Hebrews out of slavery, right? And this is a beautiful image in which, in which God speaks to Moses from a burning bush, and, 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 and he tells Moses to go back to Egypt to free the Hebrews, and Moses said, well, if I go, who should I say sent me? And God tells Moses his name, he says, I am that I am. God says in Hebrew, Yahweh, I am that I am. Most scholars think that God is saying, I am being itself. I am existence, Moses. I am everything. This this powerful image, this I am that I am. And then Moses gets to Egypt and he tries to free the people, but Pharaoh's heart is hardened and so these plagues come upon Egypt. And the final one, God sends the angel of death. The angel of death, like this powerful image. And, and and God sends it upon Egypt and He tells the Hebrew people, if you don't want the angel of death to come to your house, then, then you must sacrifice the lamb and use the blood to spread over your doorpost. And this angel of death comes and and all of these images we have for God, these powerful, strong images. This this creator God, this I am that I am, this I am being, this God who has the power to take life, this is the image we have for God. And John the Baptist takes those images and throws them away. And he says, in fact, Jesus is this, this vulnerable, seemingly weak lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. This is Jesus Christ, he says. And two of his disciples hear this, and they go and they follow Jesus. We read in the Gospel of John and other Gospels that John the Baptist had disciples. Uh, Many teachers had disciples in this time, and, and I imagine that it must have felt really good to have disciples right? I mean, that would have been, like, really cool to, to be able to walk around, just have people follow you all the time, you know, and, and you'd be able to say something, and they were like, oh, yeah, and they, you know, take notes, and, and, you know, and then they'd start repeating stuff that you said, and be like, yeah, I taught you that, you know? It, it must have felt really good for John the Baptist to have disciples, and, and if I was John the Baptist, I would have done everything I could to keep those disciples, right? I mean, because they make you feel good. It, it, it's cool to have people follow you and think you're important, and But what we find is that John the Baptist is the exact opposite. He gets rid of his disciples. He gets rid of them. And and, and it's because John the Baptist understood himself in a different way. He he understood himself to be whom the prophet Isaiah spoke about. We Read about it in Isaiah chapter 40. The prophet says, A voice cries out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is who John the Baptist believed himself to be. The the one crying out in the wilderness, the one preparing the way for God. This is John the Baptist. He understood himself as not the end-all be-all, but as simply someone pointing to God, someone pointing to Jesus Christ, someone leading others to Christ. That's who John the Baptist was. Um, I don't know if you're like me, um, but in the 90s, uh, I had a, a WWJD bracelet. And uh, I actually, I couldn't find mine, and so I borrowed gin shavers. I wore it today, just as an example. Um, in, in the 90s, if you were a Christian, or even if you weren't, you wore a WWJD bracelet, right? I mean, it was it was just a cool thing to do, at least for me and for my friends. Uh, we had these WWJD bracelets. It stood for what would Jesus do, right? And, um, and and what we found that when we wore these things is that, you know, oftentimes it was it was kind of hard not to imagine what would Jesus do. I mean, you know most of the time we can kind of think the right thing to do or or at least the perfect thing to do and it was really just kind of hard to you know to to do it and and what i realized is that the wwjd bracelets were were really just kind of a difficult calling in our lives that in fact many times we're not called just to you know be god what we're called to do is to point to god to lead others to christ That, in fact, that's the more powerful calling in our life, is that we don't believe ourselves as the Savior, but the ones pointing to the Savior. And so maybe we should imagine, instead of WWJD, instead of what would Jesus do, uh, maybe WWJBD, what would John the Baptist do? He's the one who pointed to Christ, right? He was the one who led others to Christ. He was the one who had disciples around him. He's the one who had all of these followers near him, and he led them to Jesus. Jesus. All of these people who made John the Baptist feel good and important, he sent them away and sent them to follow Jesus. So maybe that could be our challenge is to imagine what would John the Baptist do? Right? Maybe leave out like the locust and wild honey thing that he ate and lived out in the wilderness all crazy. But, you know, the pointing to Jesus thing was a really good idea. Maybe that could be a calling in our lives. We continue to read in the Gospel of John that the disciples have now followed Jesus. They've turned and they've uh, turned away from John the Baptist and followed Jesus. And and when Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. I think there's a couple things really important about this passage, that that even though the disciples were following Jesus, he still asked them, what are you looking for, right? Well, what are you looking for? It wasn't enough just to follow Jesus. It wasn't enough just to like show up, you know, it wasn't enough just to be there, but you had to have intent. You have to have intention when you come to Christ. He said to them, what are you looking for? And they asked, where are you staying? And Jesus doesn't just give them like a laundry list, right? Of like, you know, these are the places I'm staying, this is what I'm doing, He doesn't give them like a fact sheet. He doesn't give them just bullet points. In fact, what he says is, come and see. Come and see for yourself. In fact, this is what Jesus does constantly. Instead of just explaining things to people, he invites them to see it. He invites them to experience it for themselves, to come and see. This phrase comes up again in the Gospel of John, just a few verses later, that Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, what? Come and see. Come and see. And what we find as Christians is that many times we can think it's our job to save people, right? It's our job to go out there and to rescue as many people as we can. And, 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 and what we believe is that we can just go out there and just convince people that God exists, right? We can go out there and we can give just this like perfect argument, this perfect description, this, this laundry list of things that would convince somebody to follow Jesus. And what we find if we try that is that many times it will fall on its face, that it will just be short of what we could do and what we understand now from the Gospel of John that Jesus himself invited people just to come and see, just to experience God for yourself. That this is evangelism, friends. This is what it means to tell the good news. It doesn't just mean to go out and, and just tell people that they're wrong and that they should, you know, be Christian instead. And, you know, what we find many times is that w- we find people who are trying to convince people to be Christian by arguing from the Bible. It, here, here's the news. It, it doesn't matter to them what's written in the Bible yet. Right? They, they, they don't believe it. But, in fact, if we would just invite them to come and see to give a first-hand account, to say, you know, I've experienced some good things from a community of faith. I, I, I've experienced a God who loves me, who sent his only son to die for me. I've experienced people who represent that love and who love me for no other reason than because God created me. And I would invite you to come and see that what we find is not our job to save people. Christ saves people. We just invite them, friends. We just invite them. Because here's the good news, right? The good news, the Messiah has been born, right? And here's the better news. It's not us. Amen? I mean, we don't have to save people. The Messiah has been born. We celebrated it just a few days ago. We celebrated the fact that Christ has been here, that God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, came here on earth and will come again. We celebrated that and we recognize the fact that it's not us. It's not us and we can just celebrate in that and just invite people to come and see. Even, even when it's snowing and just awful outside, we can invite them to come And See, experience it for yourself, because I have a feeling that God will reveal God's self to you. If you would be open to it, if you would experience it for yourself, if you would just come and see. Because here's the truth, we're all called to point to Christ. That's what we see throughout the gospel, right? That that John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, right? John had all these disciples, he could have pointed to himself and he pointed to Jesus and then those disciples saw him. Then those disciples came to know Jesus Christ. They came and saw and they pointed to Jesus, right? And then what we find is that they went and got other people and showed them Jesus and then those other people pointed to Jesus. That's why we're here today, because they told somebody else about it. Because they told somebody else about Jesus Christ because they pointed to something beyond themselves. That's why we are here, because we heard the good news from someone else. Friends, we are called to point beyond ourselves, to invite others to come and see. It's a calling we have on all of our lives. We continue reading the Gospel of John. That One of the two who heard John speak And followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the what? Messiah. We have found the Messiah. Now friends, this word hasn't been used yet. That that no one told Andrew this. No one sat Andrew down and said, now this Jesus is the Son of God, this one is, is all this, that, that John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God, this is the sacrifice that will be on our behalf. And Andrew went and saw and experienced it for himself, and he came to know him as the Messiah. And then notice that it didn't just end with him. He didn't just get there and then want to keep Jesus to himself, but he, in fact he went and got his brother and said... I have found, we have found the Messiah. Because here's the truth about the gospel. It's not done until we've told someone else. The gospel means good news, right? It literally means good news. And what do we do when we have good news, but go and tell someone else about it? That's what you do with any good news. You you can't wait just to share in somebody else's joy and just say, listen, I have this really good news. I want to tell you about it. That this is what we do with the gospel, friends. This is what we do with good news. We tell someone else about it. What we read throughout the gospels is Jesus constantly performing miracles, right? There are many miracles that Jesus performs and and, and in some of the gospels, Jesus will perform a miracle. He'll heal someone who is blind. He will heal someone that's lame. Somebody will be able to walk again and what he tells them is don't tell anybody about it and what they do immediately afterwards, they go and they tell everybody they know because they can't help but to keep this gospel out, to get it out, to tell someone else about it, because that's what you do with good news, friends. That's what you do with good news. I wonder if the disciples ever had these moments when they were following Jesus, if they ever wondered there would be something else. Right, if they had that, like, clean up the wrapping paper kind of experience. If they ever had that, you know, after Christmas kind of experience where they followed Jesus and they realized that maybe this road was going to be a little more difficult than they thought? I wonder if they ever asked themselves, now what? I like to believe they didn't, actually. I like to believe that they come to understand Jesus is the Messiah and they realize that this is the one whom they could follow. This is the one they could put their entire lives into. But I think it took them a little while to get there. And I think one of the points in which they, they really solidified this decision, they really said, you know, this is the guy we're following in the Gospel of John. Jesus says some pretty radical things, especially in the Gospel of John. He says some pretty wild things, and immediately after, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right? We read that he had just five loaves and two fish, and he performs this amazing miracle, and he feeds 5,000 people, and all of these people start to follow Jesus. Now again, it would feel really cool if 5,000 people followed me around, Right? I mean, that would just be awesome. And, you know, it'd make travel a little more difficult, but I think we could figure it out, you know? 5,000 people follow Jesus. And what he does immediately is tells them this thing that sends all of them away. He, he says these words in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and this bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Because of this, many disciples, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Now, Jesus tells the disciples this, that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood because he's referring to the communion, right? The sacrament that we celebrate is communion. We represent the body as, as bread, that Jesus broke it in remembrance of us as a sacrifice for us. and we drink the, the cup, the, the, we use grape juice, and this is a sign of Jesus' new covenant, a new covenant now that, that this meal that used to be the Passover, right? The, this meal that Jesus celebrated as, as a Jewish person, was the Passover, was represented the sacrifice that God made on behalf of one group of people, right, the Hebrews. We remember that, that Jesus celebrated that with his disciples. But Jesus says, I'm about to give a new covenant for you. I'm I'm about to do this new thing that will no longer be just for you, but it will be for all people. Not only you now and all people now, but all people that will ever live. I will give my body and my blood for all people. And Jesus tells these 5,000 followers that, and they all leave him. And he turns to the disciples and he said, will you too go away? The 12 people that are left after 5,000 people. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom can we go? Now notice Simon Peter doesn't say to Jesus, you know, no, you know, we completely understand everything you've said, Jesus. No, they may have misunderstood Jesus, but we completely understand everything that you have ever taught. No, they don't say that. They don't even say, Jesus, we agree with everything that you've ever done. But they simply say, Lord, to whom can we go? Friends, as followers of Christ, we're going to disagree. We're going to disagree on what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to disagree ideologically, theologically in our beliefs about God, and even politically. But what we find is that we come to Christ, and even though we may disagree, we can all end up saying, to whom can we go? No one else has words of life like this. The disciples came and saw and experienced a risen Lord. And they realized that there was nowhere else to go. There was no one else who offered these words of life. I hope that's what we experience when we follow Jesus. These words of life that can actually change us, that can actually make a difference in our life, that can actually make a change in this world. What we found on Christmas morning is that there were things that we were working for, right? There, there was something that we all strove towards. Maybe it was that perfect Christmas moment, you know, that, that, that picturesque moment when all of the kids were happy and, 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 you know, we got along with our spouse and, and, and breakfast smelled amazing and, you know, there was a fire roaring and everything was just perfect. Maybe we just wanted that moment. And what we realized is that even if we found that moment, it couldn't fulfill us. Because that won't give life, friends, that even if we got it, even if we got everything we wanted, it still wouldn't be enough. Friends, we are called to something more. So I would invite you this week to consider these words to work towards not the next thing, but the last thing. Not the next thing, but the last thing. We read in the book of Revelation, and it's an interesting book. And um, if it's the first time reading the Bible, I wouldn't suggest it. um, But there's some interesting words in it that Jesus himself says, See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end. Imagine what time looks like to God who is both beginning and end. Right, God does not just experience time like this, but God is the beginning and end. God knows the end story. God knows how it's all going to wrap up and that we better trust in that God rather than our gifts or that picturesque moment or that politician or whatever it is. We better trust in God, the last thing, and work towards that because that's much more fulfilling to our life that will actually give purpose to our lives and if we actually work towards the last thing. And then finally, I want to invite you as we head into the year, many of us make resolutions uh, that that don't necessarily stick, and a lot of them are are kind of superficial, uh, but I want to invite you to prepare to make a resolution about your spiritual life, that this is what it would mean to to work towards the last thing, to make a resolution about your spiritual life. Maybe that's, you know, a, a, a system of prayer. Maybe you would consider trying to pray every day for a year, see what that could do to our life. What, what that could do, and, and, and it could be simple and small, but just try to pray every day for a year. Or maybe read the scripture, maybe read through the Bible. They have Bible plans that you can read 365 days and be through the entire Bible. Do something about your spiritual life that would actually make an impact in the world, that would actually be one of those last things. This is an invitation to come and see, to experience, because I have a feeling there's something more. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was a kid, uh, I w- would drive to school every day with my dad, um, and uh would always be in the, you know, early in the morning, and, and the thing about my dad was, um, he's now passed, but he used to be a doctor in the small town of Coweta, and, and my dad loved his job. My dad loved his job so much that he wanted to get there first thing in the morning, that it took everything in his body to wait just long enough for me, you know, to, for the doors to open at school for me to get there. I used to get there at school before any of the teachers did, and there would just be a few secretaries there. And, and my dad would drop me off, and I'd walk in and be like, I'm here for school. And they'd make me sit in, in the office and help do secretary work uh, because they didn't have anything for me to do, and they didn't want me to get in trouble. Finally, they had to write a note to my dad and, like, pin it on my shirt. You know, I had to go home, and they had to tell my dad to stop dropping me off so early because he loved getting to his job. And he used to tell me when we would ride to school how much he was looking forward to the day. And he would say, Andy, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Maybe you've heard this too. My dad didn't come up with it, but if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I, I've come to experience that, that, yeah, I mean, if you have a job that you love, you, you really, you know, there'll be, there'll be kind of, you know, rough days and there'll be kind of stressful days, but, but really it's better than, you know, doing another thing. What I've also found is that it also just applies to our life in general that if we truly love what we do and if we find something worth loving, if we love Jesus Christ, we will truly never work a day in our life. I believe that to be true. I want to invite you and others to come and see it as well.